Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. I know. I jumped the gun there a little bit on the music. Sorry, Rick. Um, uh, but look, we got a big day. We got a big guest uh, waiting for us in the wings here. Uh, Joe Lockhart, former White House press secretary, has got a very provocative argument uh, for Democrats on the question of impeachment, which, by the way, Rick, seems to be all the rage these days. Yeah, and Joe Lockhart may know a thing or two of this. He was kind of the public face of the embattled Clinton presidency for a long time, and I am intrigued by his argument because it's a a big one that's raging right now among Democrats. You've got splits among the 2020 candidates, between the 2020 candidates, and Capitol Hill behind between the establishment and the grassroots, between some of the newer members and some of the older members. Democrats don't know what to do now that the Mulder report is is in the history books. As a matter of fact, let's listen to some of those Democrats. This was at the CNN did five hours of town hall meetings um, and every – with five different candidates, they were all asked about impeachment. Here's a little sense. I believe Congress should take the steps towards impeachment. I think he's made it pretty clear that he deserves impeachment. This isn't about politics. This is about principle. And that's why I've asked uh, the House to start impeachment proceedings. <laughs> and, and, and I got to say, uh, Warren was the most emphatic. I should say we didn't play the sound, but Bernie Sanders. And those three, uh, we should say, were Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, and then well, Elizabeth yes, Warren. Yes, of course. Our, and, our listeners. Oh, yes. Sorry. But, but uh, the, the two others uh, were, were much more skeptical on it. In fact, Buttigieg was like, leave it up to Congress. He didn't take a position one way or the other. But but Klobuchar was, you know, not so fast. And, uh, and, and Bernie Sanders said, look, if we impeach, we make the whole everything about Trump, Trump, Trump. We should be talking about the underlying issues. But that said, the most emphatic and I thought the one that got the most, um, uh, I mean, spirited response was Elizabeth Warren who uh, directly criticized uh, Nancy Pelosi on, um, you know, his, her argument of saying we should go cautious, uh, suggesting that it was based on politics, uh, not not based on, on principle. And she said that any other person in the country who did what Trump is described to have done in the Mueller report would be arrested and put in jail. Are we going to start seeing chance of lock him up? <laughs> Fast forward to the Democratic convention next year. Uh, I, it, this is, this is a, almost an existential question for Democrats because I think the question of President Trump's fitness for office is pretty much settled among Democrats. They don't think he deserves the job. They don't think he's up to the job. And I think if you, if, if you poll Democrats and we have polled Democrats, a lot of them want him out of the job now, even think that he is worthy of impeachment. But that's different than a political argument. And these men and women who are running for president are running against Donald Trump. Uh, they were running against him in the re-election race of 2020. And there's a there's a real argument out there that Nancy Pelosi, among others, are holding the line on to say, if our goal is to defeat Trump and Trumpism, the way to do that is actually at the ballot box and not via impeachment. Meanwhile, the president seems to be geared up for a fight here. Uh, you heard what he said. I'm sure you heard this. He was at, at the Easter egg roll right, right after he was up on the on the Truman balcony with the bespectacled bunny. Yes, yes. Uh, he came down. Uh, was was that you know one of the central themes in the Mueller report, as we've discussed, is how many times people close to the president, his top advisors, refused to do what he asked them to do, and in Mueller's view. That essentially may have protected the president uh, from uh, from a, a criminal charge of obstruction of justice. But the president was asked about this notion. Let's like, take a listen. Are you Thank worried you. that your staff is ignoring your orders as the Mueller report portrays? Nobody disobeys my orders. 
nobody disobeys my orders. Nobody disobeys my orders. Except Me, Don McGahn and Corey Lewandowski and uh, Steve Bob Bannon. Porter and Steve Bannon and Ryan Priebus. Uh, so but 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 wait a minute. Let's let's just let's just let's let's hold off here for a second. The the, the president um, is now faced with a situation where the Democratic leadership, the top of the Democratic leadership, Nancy Pelosi in the House, does not want to go forward with impeachment, but she wants uh, to aggressively investigate the president, basically do everything short of impeachment, and you know Democrats are, smell blood and want to want to attack and go after this president in every way possible, and the president, faced with uh, demands from these congressional committees for various people in his administration to testify, whether it be Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, or uh, the, um, the, the the guy that was formerly in charge of the security clearances, uh, Carl Klein, or you, know, long, you can imagine a long list of others that will be asked to testify. The, the president, in an interview with the Washington Post, and interesting that, that, that this interview happened, I would like to know a little bit of the behind the scenes to how this came about, but an but interesting interview, um, said there is no reason to go any further, especially in Congress, where it is very partisan, obviously very partisan. Hard to argue with him on the very partisan uh, line, but, uh, but he is saying that he is essentially uh, not going to allow anybody in his administration to go before those committees. And it fits in with what he's doing now or what the Treasury Department seems to be doing around the taxes as well. And there's a whole raft of oversight issues that this could signal repercussions for. If the president decides not to cooperate because pre- because Congress is partisan, well, I, that, that that is going to be a court fight. And it's possible that he kind of waits out the clock on some of these and goes, gets to a point where people no longer care about the issue or the political momentum moves. But that is quite a confrontation. And to, to recognize again the big picture here, we're about 100 days or so into the Democrats controlling the House, that new day in Washington. The president would still like to get a thing or two done. In fact, he's got Nancy Pelosi coming to the White House in a few days to talk infrastructure. If he is starting things off by saying, no, you're not getting this, you're not getting that, you're not getting this testimony, that is going to be a rocky relationship at best regardless of impeachment. And the well, president may be seeking out these fights because he sees them as effective foils. And, and, and this is – let's face it. The, the question of, of who can be forced to testify before Congress will be resolved by the courts and it may be one that goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. It'd be fascinating again to see um, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh could be deciding factors uh, you know, on, on, in terms of what happens here. But, th- but this will be – this will be a, a battle. It's a long drawn out battle and maybe part of the, the calculus here is you can, you can stonewall until we get you know, I- into the presidential election. But, uh, but, but, but this will be a big battle and this is going to be uh, – raise fundamental issues that go beyond Donald Trump and beyond uh, the, the, the political dynamics of the 2020 race. These are fundamental questions of uh, of, of how the how our system of government works. Yeah, and 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 all of that again is a little bit even separate from what happens with impeachment. And my sense around impeachment, John, and talking to folks on the Hill about this is that they've settled on for now a strategy that doesn't go there. They are going to investigate, investigate, investigate. Um, as Nancy Pelosi has told her members, this can approximate some of the things that impeachment hearings would find. Um, you're going to keep these things in the spotlight, but in terms of actually voting on articles of impeachment, they are not there yet. And in fact, the service that they could be doing for Democrats who are running for president might be just to take the pressure off and say, look, these things are being handled by the committee process. They're pursuing these things. Uh, and if they find something else that, that changes public perceptions, they're there. 
Otherwise, they know the math and they know how the movie ends. Now, we did hear from Jared Kushner, a rare uh, discussion with Kushner at this uh, Time 100 forum uh, where he was to be talking and did in fact talk at length about criminal justice reform. Uh, but but he was asked, as he has not been for a long, long time, um, about the issues raised in the investigation and in the Mueller report. And this caught a lot of people's, um, you know, this comment drew a lot of attention. Quite frankly, the whole thing's just a big distraction for the country. And you look at, you know, what Russia did, you know, buying some Facebook ads to try to sow dissent and do it, and it's a terrible thing. But uh, I think the investigations and, and all of the, the speculation that's happened for the last two years has had a much uh, harsher impact on our democracy than a couple of Facebook ads. A couple of Facebook ads. He's, he's using shorthand here. Um, He's describing the Russian meddling campaign as a couple of Facebook ads. I mean, Rick, the, what we've seen documented both by the intelligence community and now in much greater detail in the Mueller report Volume one. Is, is, is what the Russian – put aside whatever the campaign was doing. Look at what the Russians were doing. Uh, the Russians had a, a, a social media campaign that included some Facebook ads. Yes. Um, that was not – the sum total of the of the social media campaign, um, they had. We're talking uh, how many millions of impressions? Uh, uh, Russian disinformation through, you know, through the various uh, bots and and you know, they're, they're, I mean, th- this was an extensive disinformation campaign waged through social media, uh, through the Internet Research Agency, chapter and verse outlined in in the report. But then, the more significant Russian interference was the hacking. Of the Democratic Party emails, the Clinton campaign emails, John Podesta's emails, and the dissemination of such emails timed at critical points during uh, the presidential campaign. This was not a couple of Facebook ads. And the attempts to recover the the, the so-called missing Clinton emails, the ones that were deleted from her server, uh, this was a, a vast and coordinated effort that appeared to draw big results. And John, as you know, the headline just today in the New York Times about Kirsten Nielsen at, at the Department of Homeland Security wanting to raise issues of Russian hacking in 2018 and 2020 and being told, according to the Times, don't go there with the president. Mick Mulvaney, the chief of staff, says the president views this as delegitimizing his own election. That's the context for this. And I think it is significant to have Jared Kushner under uh, underplay this in this way and to, and to seek to minimize what it even meant. Um, it's not just that it's about the president's ego and whether he was legitimately elected. This gets to the foundations of, the democ- of our democracy and, and how we are prepared for this next election that's already upon us. So uh, a lot discussed. We got to take a quick break before we get to uh, to our guest, Joe Lockhart uh, and, and Rick. Just a quick note: uh, Joe Biden is going to be announcing. We, we, we you, you've reported. Uh, mm-hmm. We've gotten this uh, confirmed. He will be announcing he's running for president, and instantly will take his place as at least on day one, if you believe national polls, as the front runner. Yeah, and and I, it raises a question about what what the eight hundred pound gorilla looks like when he weighs about one hundred and ninety pounds. Instead, mm-hmm. this is not a front runner like any front runner we have seen in modern political history. Uh, he has the biggest name recognition. He's atop the national polls, but he's not alone there. And he will be candidate number twenty. John, 20 Democrats running and uh, and a front runner, but a very unique sort of front runner because of the era that he comes in. This is a man who's been in politics for um, almost 50 years. And um, the party has changed quite a bit as he has seen harshly presented to him. 
Um, but there is an undeniable appeal to Joe Biden that he can tap into. I think it's telling that his first campaign event will be at a union stronghold, a Teamsters Hall in Pittsburgh. Uh, and, and he is going to try to signal about the, the voters who were kind of lost to Democrats in the Trump era, try to bring them back. It is an existential challenge for the Democratic Party at this at this stage, what they look like, what they present. And Joe Biden is going to force a lot of those divisions into the open. And as you know, I had some doubts about whether or not he was actually going to pull John? the trigger. I, 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 I had some that, doubts. Yeah. He is in. Uh, <laughs> all right, we got to take a quick break. We will be back with Joe Lockhart. All right, joining us now is Joe Lockhart, of course, former White House press secretary. Actually, do you mind if I kind of quickly tick through your your political resume? Because you, you have one of the most varied resumes uh, in, in 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 American public life today. There, were, there was a stretch in the eighties where I lost three campaigns in a row. So thank you for <laughs> yeah. that. Otherwise, no, I was about to hit through that. I was about yeah. to go. Yeah, uh, we, we, here we, we go. To, yeah. Um, but but nineteen eighty, yeah. uh, a regional press coordinator for Jimmy Carter. I recall he did win the primary. We did win the primary. Yes. yes. Um, assistant press secretary for the '84 Mondale Ferraro campaign. We won Minnesota. How many states? Forty nine. Just one. Okay. okay one. Great. Forty nine. Okay. And then uh, uh, deputy press secretary for the '88 Dukakis Benson campaign. Yeah, we won ten states. Okay. okay. There are fifty, right. by the way. For moving in the right direction. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and then, of course, uh, the '96 uh, Clinton Gore campaign, which, which I think that did work out a little better. That worked um, out pretty and, well. Uh, and of course, White House press secretary, and most famously, uh, co-founder of the Glover Park Group. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to start. You, you've made a provocative case here, uh, that, and, 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 a, and a rather emphatic case. Uh, I think maybe even more emphatic than we've heard from the Speaker of the House that that, that impeachment would be a bad idea uh, for for Democrats. But what strikes me about your argument, Joe, is that you you argue that Donald Trump deserves to be impeached yes. and on the facts should be impeached but that it would be a mistake politically for Democrats. That sounds like a cynical argument. It's, it's, you know, it may sound cynical. I don't think it is. I actually thought about this for a long time um, uh, before, um, you know, sending the thing to the, to the New York Times. Uh, this is a political process. Uh, Mueller's was a legal process. Uh, the framers of the Constitution made a conscious decision to move this to the, to the House of Representatives, knowing that politicians... Uh, would decide this. Um, so I agree that he sh- that he's committed high crimes and misdemeanors. I agree that he's a clear and present threat uh, to the national security of the United States. The question is, and he should be removed. The question is, how should he be removed? And what is the most effective way to remove him? And I believe based on um, my own experience, um, particularly uh, during the Clinton administration, that if the Democrats move to impeach him, knowing full well that he will never be convicted in the Senate, there is no chance. There is less than zero chance. Uh, and I can talk about why or we can just all agree that there's less than zero chance in, this, in the Senate that that actually might help Trump. Um, and, it's, and a lot of that's because you know, the public is not fully engaged. Uh, on the impeachment process. And my biggest fear is he goes to the Senate, he's acquitted, and people who are on the fence about Trump and, you know, are thinking of holding their nose and voting for him, all of a sudden it makes it easier. And they say, well, you know what? The Senate looked at it and they found him innocent. He was acquitted. 
It's, you know, you know, uh, innocent until proven guilty in America. And I just think it will be wholly counterproductive. I think so. the second point is Democrats won the midterm elections, not because people hated Trump, not because Mueller was doing his investigation. Democrats ran on things like health care, climate change, um, infrastructure, uh, tax policy. And, um, you know, I've got two journalists sitting in front of me. So at the risk of insulting you, um, the media in Washington is not very good about doing two things at once. And if you have a big shiny object like impeachment hearings, nothing else will break through. Nothing. So if you're Nancy Pelosi, you know, it's, I, I, was, I was on arguing um, uh, on TV the other day with someone who was making the point that Nancy Pelosi's problem is it's all these new young members um, who, um, uh, you know, are being much more aggressive. And her problem is not young members. Her problems are we, we won back the House. 33 of the 40 seats we picked up were picked up in swing districts where the more moderate Democrat won the Democratic primary. Her big problem is making sure those people hang around for a second term. And if the national debate is nothing but impeaching the president, those people, I mean, Ariana Presley, AOC, you know, Maxine Waters is a long time. Those people are going to win re-election. They have the freedom to, you know, say what they want. Abigail Spanberger, Abigail Spanberger is going to have a, a, a race no matter what. It makes her race so much harder uh, if it's all about impeachment. And remember, uh, we're not going to remove him. He is not going to be removed. So, so my view is that, um, you know, we, we should grab him by the ballot box. That is the, that is the most effective and quickest way uh, to remove him. And, and the last point is I actually think there's a real opportunity here for Democrats. I, I believe – and, you know, I was talking to, to Max Boot um, last night who's basically written this book that says conservatism in the Republican Party is rotting from the inside. I think there's a chance for the Democrats um, uh, using Trump as the standard bearer for Republicanism now. There's no other. There's no. There's no two camps of Republicans now. It's all Trumpism. Yeah, the Max Trumpism. boots are gone. They, they yeah. aren't in the Repar Republican yeah, Party yeah. anymore. So Trumpism equals Republicanism. I think there's a chance for Democrats to sweep in, make big gains, and all of a sudden have a working majority in Congress for progressive policies. We haven't had. We haven't really had a working majority. We haven't been off the defense since Reagan. Um, you know, Reagan managed through his political genius to, in many ways, um, uh, put Democrats on the defensive, put liberalism uh, uh, on the defensive, progressivism. This is a chance to flip that and flip that in a very significant way. So I think it's it's both practical, opportunistic. It is political. But it's supposed to be political. I, by, by the way, I would argue that there was one brief window where you did have that working majority. It was brief, but uh, but but 2009 to to uh, to 2010, um, when when you had 60 votes in the Senate, a big majority in the House. Of course, but it but didn't even last. but you know, I, I I don't disagree with you there. Even there, um, uh, the Obama administration had difficulty getting anything done because of the intractable resistance. You know, during the uh, health care hearings, Chuck Grassley would just sit up there and say, no, no, no. Uh, and I think we have a chance. If you can extend in the House, if you can if you can retake the Senate and extend you know, another 15 or 20 seats uh, in the House, there is a chance. And 
Republicans get the message that obstructing Democrats is bad politics, then you might see a change in Washington. It's very optimistic view and and perhaps naive, but I think there's an opportunity there. But can I ask you uh, the kind of question that you didn't like when we asked you when you stood at the podium? A hypothetical question. Um, Which you know I don't take. Yes, ahead. I know, I know. But, but, now, ahead, but anyway. now, now you kind of have to. You're in yeah, our studio. Yeah. You're here. Uh, um, you gave me a nice, comfortable chair. Uh, I, gave, I, yeah, I feel, yeah, in, yeah. you know, in, in you, didn't, you didn't even wear a tie to this thing. Yeah. Uh, so, um, well, first of all, let's start with what you wrote. You you wrote um, for Democrats leaving Donald Trump in office is not only good politics. It's the best chance for a fundamental realignment of American politics in more than a generation. The point you're making here. Uh, Trump is three years into destroying what we have known as the Republican Party. So if that's the case, here's my hypothetical. If there were a chance to actually remove him from office through impeachment and, and, and removal in the Senate, would you still have the same position? Because you would no longer have Donald Trump in office to run against. You might have a you know, a, 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 a Mike Pence come in sure. with, with some goodwill to, uh, to kind of re, you know, heal the country and all of that, uh, it might actually be politically bad to remove. Based on your argument, I mean, it seems like you are arguing even if – so even if you could remove Donald Trump from office, would you, would, you, would you hold this position? I think if you could remove Donald Trump from office, you should. I think okay. you know, he – it's uh, – the, the problem is you can't. Um, okay. And um, you know, it's an interesting question about Penn, uh, Pence candidacy. I think he does have the um, persona of someone who can, you know, do a healing message. On the other hand, he's he's been a bit of a lapdog. Yeah, uh, no, for three I mean, uh, so uh, it's, who, who knows how it would play out? But but yeah. I think that on your, I I and, and I don't want to debate. I'm going to turn it over to Rick here. I don't want to debate this. But on your your point of you'll never remove Donald Trump, I think I think you're 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 right. Yeah. Um, but I also think there's an argument. That you don't know that until you go through this process. Now, again, I mean, I, I you know, the the only reason that I uh, object to that, uh, and it, it's 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 not a crazy argument. Mm-hmm. Look at everything that's happened over the last couple of years. Look at uh, Charlottesville. Look at Stormy Daniels hush payments. Look at the family separation policy. Everything he's done, and nary a peep from uh, from anyone up on the hill. He's as popular as he's ever been with Republicans. Well, and and the the fact of the matter is, Republic. I I have some sympathy for Republicans. They're in a bind here. They know any senator knows that if they challenge Trump, they'll get a primary. They'll lose. This is Tea Party two point um, You know, two thousand nineteen, and you know that's why. And you guys know this better than I do. They will tell you privately that he, they don't believe in him, that he's wrong, but publicly they won't. And, you know, you call me cynical, <laughs> that's that's pretty cynical. So, Joe, I, I don't think either of us would or anyone really would quarrel with your political calculation here, that it is an impossibility to, to remove him from office. You know something about that, um, having lived through it. Newt Gingrich and the Republicans in the House impeached oh, right. President Clinton. Uh, Knowing the math, and the math never changed through the through the through the entirety of that process. Of course, President Clinton was not removed from office. And a point that your friend Philippe Rhinus, uh, former longtime Hillary Clinton aide, I've never um, liked him. By the way, <laughs> good. we'll get that on the record. Yeah, um, uh, I know. I know you'll be debating him on your podcast. Yeah. Words matter. I'm kind of interested in tuning into that. Yeah. But Philippe makes the point that the Republicans 
it's, we, we've, we've taken as conventional wisdom for a long time that that was a political disaster. You take that swing and you miss. And uh, our, you know, the, the first piece of evidence is that Republicans lose seats in the 98 midterms in the wake of impeachment. But Philippe points out George W. Bush won two years later yeah. and Republicans would control both the House and the Senate for most of the Bush years. And then, of course, Obama comes along and then Trump comes. It's, it didn't destroy the Republican Party to have taken that swing and, and not gotten the traction that they were expecting. So what convinces you that it is just plain bad politics? Well, I mean, I, I, some of this is just your time horizon. If you look at the people who perpetrated um, the impeachment of Bill Clinton, uh, Newt Gingrich – was thrown out of office. Bob Livingston was thrown out of office. Tom DeLay was indicted. Half the House managers lost their next election. So it Lindsey was. Lindsey Graham's still around. Well, <laughs> Lindsey Graham is still around, although um, not the Lindsey Graham we knew in 1998. <laughs> he's a he's a wholly different guy. Um, so, um, and I think it's there's there's a little bit of apples and oranges to uh, Philippe's argument. And again, it's not crazy. Um, in two th- in in 2000, you didn't have an incumbent. Running, you, you you had Al Gore. Um, you know, I've had I've had this argument. You know, now going on 19 years with my old business partners Carter Rescue and Mike Felvin. That you know, Gore. You know, Gore didn't lose because of Bill Clinton. Gore lost because he couldn't figure out how to uh, portray, how Bill to Clinton. embrace right, in, yeah. in a limited use, way use, yeah. uh, uh, Bill Clinton. So uh, you had you know a. Um, uh, you had a a candidate that turned out to be somewhat weak uh, going in um, on the Democratic side. And you had George Bush running on being a different kind of Republican. I George Bush was basically saying, I'm not Newt Gingrich. I'm not Tom DeLay. I'm a compassionate conservative. So, you know, I understand that, you know, the 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 the. Um, uh, the walls didn't fall in on the Republicans. You know, if you look at in 1998, it was the first time in 150 years that a president in his sixth term had gained seats. We were expecting to lose 25 to 30 seats even before impeachment happened. Um, so uh, it, it was a bad year for Republicans. Um, you can say, you know. Clinton's numbers went up. Clinton, you know, Clinton's, um, jo- Clinton's job approval of the day. Uh, the Star Report came out with 63%. December 19th, when he was impeached, his job approval was 73%. I mean, if they could have impeached him twice, he would have gotten into the 80s. So um, <laughs> I think the other issue here and the important issue that cuts into Philippe's argument a little bit is none of these players were like Donald Trump. If you believe like I do that Donald Trump is a cancer on Republicans and it's metastasized – there were no, you know, there were no players like this. Then there's no one who has shattered the norms and has upended American politics in the way. And I think there's a huge price for Republicans to pay. They paid it a little bit in in 2018. I think they'll pay it more in 2020 for being his enablers. So uh, you, and and that's you, so that's why I think you just can't compare them. You know. So you convinced that Donald Trump loses re-election. I mean, that, a lot of the argument that you're making is based on the calculation that the Republicans will self-immolate because they're all in on Trump. They don't feel that way, as you point out. They won seats in the Senate. They, they, the House was a was a blowout for them, of course. But they they view it much differently, and they view Trump as this unique figure. Most of the guys that are now behind him, of course, were not behind him originally, but they've come along to to this argument. It seems like a lot of a big gamble to say, you know what, the Republicans are killing themselves, so let's not 
try to help kill them as Democrats. Uh, you know, some, sometimes you got to play the cards that are in front of you, not the cards you wish you had. So you've got to Sounds always like Rumsfeld. Yeah, you've, you've, you've got to always start with what the, what the possibilities are. So it is not a possibility to remove him. Now, I think a big thing that's going on with Democrats is you know there's they've got two motivations. They want to hold the president accountable. I think Americans do. I think, um, and I agree with that. And I think there's lots of ways to do that. I think doing high-profile hearings. Remember, with Watergate, we had the Senate Select Committee before we ever had House impeachment. That was a, you know, I'm old enough to, I actually, um, because my dad, who was working for NBC, was here for the whole summer for the hearings. I sat in on three days of those hearings, and I heard John Arrow come in from beginning to end. You know, fascinating as a, like, 13-year-old. But you did not work for the McGovern campaign. We we. Uh, do you know the McGovern campaign story? <laughs> I, I, you know, my dad worked for NBC and he did, you know, uh, political stuff. So we always went to the convention cities for our summer vacations. <laughs> and one day I said, oh, I want to go uh, volunteer on um, uh, the McGovern campaign. I was 12. And he said, yeah, it's right down in, the, in, in our hotel. And I went and I was stuffing envelopes and, you know, did everything. And I came back and my, my dad said to me, how was it? And I said, it was great, but I need some money. And he goes, well, why do you need money? And I said, well, this really nice guy came up to me and said, we're collecting money for pot. <laughs> and I didn't know what pot was. And my dad said, hey, you know what? Why don't you come on over to NBC and you can, you can get coffee and I can keep an eye on you. So, so I did work for McGovern for one day. So I, I, I want to ask you about another topic here. Um, there, there were some issues can raised. I, can, I, can I jump in yes. for one second? Yes. Because I, I just want to finish the point, yep. which is I think there's a lot of ways to hold them kind of high-profile right. hearings have. Uh, all sort of, but I think the dichotomy with Democrats, and, and we all agree on the first, I have a problem with the second, which is emotional, which is we want to punish him. We are so offended day to day by everything he does. We want to punish him. We want him to embarrass him. We want him to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue, you know, naked and ashamed. I think that's clouding some Democrats' views. And the way to punish him is to beat him at the ballot box because that's you actually have a, a straight shot at. And I just don't think you do um, with impeachment. Well, in fact, Elizabeth Warren seemed to be veering towards a um, uh, almost a, a lock him up chant. Like, a, like <laughs> uh, when when she at the CNN town hall forum, she uh, said any other person in America who did what he did would be put in jail. No, I mean even even um, I mean Hillary Clinton said yesterday that yeah. would be indicted with yeah. with with these facts. And the fact of the matter is, we you know we love binary choices. There's lots of choices here. We could do hearings through all through the summer and then censure him on the floor. Uh, so if we're looking to stain his presidency, that would stain his presidency. Um, but you know, it's the, the the debate is either or right now. So, uh, but but the other thing I want to ask you about is the Mueller report included this uh, this this note on Sarah Sanders, the current White House press secretary. Um, did, did she, she acknowledged to him that when, when when she said that you know scores of FBI members were calling the White House uh, uh, to say get rid of Comey or supporting the removal of Comey, uh, that that she had no factual basis uh, for uh, for saying that. In other words, she made it up. Um, and uh, she responded, uh, you know, after, I mean, that, so it's, it's pretty unusual to see a report like that, to see a White House press secretary called out for 
essentially lying uh, to, uh, to, to the White House press corps and the American people um, and acknowledging that she said something that she had just kind of made up. And it seemed that in her explanation, um, there's also something problematic, which she said that she was said in the heat of the moment. And then, of course, people post Mueller report took note of the fact that she said it two more times uh, over the next right. 24 hours. Um, so I, I want to, first of all, harken back to something that I asked um, Sean Spicer in his very first briefing, not, 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 her, not as harangue when he talked about crowd size, but his first briefing, the first time he took questions uh, in, the, uh, in the briefing room. Listen to this. Is it your intention to always tell the truth from that podium and will you pledge never to knowingly say something that is not factual? It is. It's an honor to do this. And uh, yes, I believe that we have to be honest with the American people. I think I think that was the right answer uh, from Sean. I'm not sure, and he he took great offense from that. For uh, that, I asked that later. He he thought it was a terrible question, uh, like how dare I ask? But 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 now we've we've seen documented in a government report that uh, Sarah, who arguably, I mean. Is, I mean, I think Sean had some of the very same uh, allegations made against him, just not in the in in, in the body of, of the Mueller report. What, what what do you make of all that? How 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 would you advise Sarah going forward? How would you how do you think the White House press corps should should deal with that? Yeah, that's you know, it, it, Sean should not have been either surprised or offended by your question. Uh, Helen Thomas used to ask every new press secretary that exact question. At their first briefing. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, you, you know, if he had gone back and, you know, done a little research, he would have found that question gets asked every time. I mean, sorry that it wasn't an original <laughs> I thought, right, Carl, Carl, Carl right, special. Right, right, right. Um, this is, um, I, I, you know, I have, a, I have a lot of thoughts on this, so I'll try not to speak uh, for too long. The White House press secretary, I think, has two jobs. One is to brief on a regular basis uh, and make him make himself or herself available to White House reporters. White House reporters as the proxy for the American public. Whether you like them or not, whether you think they're fair, whether you think they're biased, they represent. There's it's the best system we can figure out so far to you know give the American public a representative in that building. So brief them on a regular basis, and then simply tell the truth. Uh, and John, you've been, um, and Rick, you've been in, in, in enough uh, briefings when you know that the White House press secretary is not ready to talk about something. And there are a number of ways to say that. And the signal gets sent and everyone receives it. And, you know, it's almost like ask me again tomorrow because then I'll have a full picture of this. I can't go into that now. Um, but there's a bright red line on lying. And that's a bright red line that Sarah doesn't recognize. Uh, we now know that for a fact. Uh, she, when threatened with going to jail, she told the truth. Mm-hmm. When not being threatened with going to jail, she makes stuff up. Uh, she doesn't brief regularly. That's that's a problem um, because it's the, the public has a right to know, and they're being denied. Uh, uh, being denied that right for all of the problems with the briefing. It's not a perfect exercise of t- democracy and journalism. Uh, but, but it's it, a chance for the American public to see uh, the representative of the most powerful person in the country being questioned by uh, members of the press, which I think yeah. is valuable, e- even regardless of the quality of the information that, that, that's yeah. exchanged. It's, it, it's also important symbolically. Yes, and, and I'll make another point, which is it's really important internally at the White House because it imposes discipline. It imposes discipline. You have to make decisions. 
by one o'clock in the afternoon if you're going to brief every day. You can't just go out there every day and say, we can't do that. We haven't figured that one out yet or, right. you know, so-and-so is on this side of it and so-and-so and here's what I think. I mean you, you have to. Uh, so I think th- I think they they lose something there. I think a not, a not enough has been made about the actual lie she told. Um, so let me talk about that for a second. Um, all of this discussion, you know, almost all of it centers around obstruction of justice. The president trying to discredit the investigation, the investigators and shut it down. Uh, we will have some forum for all of that to being discussed. It, it'll maybe my way, maybe Philippe's way. Hmm. You know, we'll see. Sarah Sanders certainly knew why Jim Comey was being fired. I have I have no doubt about that. And she participated in Trump's effort to obstruct justice by smearing Jim Comey and making up facts that suggested that somehow Comey was a outlier and had lost the, the trust of the of the rank and file had lost yeah. the the trust of the rank and file and that perpetuated the the conspiracy and she participated in that conspiracy to obstruct justice so i and i don't think people have focused on that as much as oh she told a lie before we let you go I want to just ask about uh, the the latest entry into the presidential race. Yes, uh, you're wearing a Bo Biden Foundation fleece proudly, proudly, proudly a golf a golf tournament giveaway. Uh, but Joe Biden is about 24 hours, less than 24 hours away from getting into this race, um, and he's going to be a front runner of sorts, maybe mm-hmm. weaker than others. But right now, Joe Biden, buy or sell, is it is he on the upswing or the downswing? Is he what the the Democratic Party needs, or is he the answer to a question that isn't being asked? I, I think potentially he is what the Democratic Party needs. Um, I, I look at this rather than – I mean there's – I love Joe Biden. I've known him for 40 years. Um, I, I, I am rooting for him uh, to do well. I was with another presidential candidate who I loved last night. I'm going to be with another one you know, two days from now. But I think that we've entered a, a new phase of this campaign. Um, and I think Biden has a couple of months, two or three months, to show that he's a strong front runner, or he's just part of the pack. If he's a strong front runner, that will dictate the rest of the race. Then it will be a fight between 19, 20 people to figure out who's the alternative. And is that alternative, uh, does the party want um, a more liberal, progressive person? Does the party want a person of color? Does the party want someone younger? But then that will set off a fight and Biden will be over in the corner by himself waiting to see who emerges. If Biden fails to catch fire, you know, which is possible, you know, you you just don't know uh, in, in in the politics and particularly presidential politics game. Then we have the possibility of, uh, you know, going well into the primaries and caucuses before it sorts itself out. Um, So I think. Uh, while this first phase that we're that is ending really today this week um, has been really interesting, we've seen some people rise. We've some, seen, seen some people fall. We've seen some people rise, fall, and then rise again. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gotten a measure of some of the candidates, but this is I think Biden getting in is get, makes it serious. If he can establish himself as a firm f- front runner, uh, and that doesn't mean he's going to win. I mean Hillary Clinton established herself in two thousand seven as a strong, firm frontrunner, and then Barack Obama beat her, right. you know, um, uh, uh, then that will, um, that will give some architecture to the race 
that uh, you know people can understand, and it will dictate the strategy of the other nineteen or twenty. Um, you know, if he doesn't do well and uh, slides, um, it's you know it's 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 really hard to predict. You know how this will play out. It'll be fun to watch, though. It's going to be a great primary yeah. to watch. It's going to be a good one. All right, uh, Joe Lockhart. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, known you for maybe not as long as you've known Joe Biden, but 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 a long time, and uh, always a straight shooter. And I really appreciate you coming on. That is all the time we have for powerhouse politics. So thank you to our entire team. I guess Trevor Hastings took the day off, but we had Susie Liu with us, Annika Marilise, uh, Angie Yak, Avery Miller. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week.